0: Children, you are dismissed to the children's church. This morning, we are going to talk about the cost of love and devotion. Why? Because this is the Advent Sunday of love and the candle of love. But love is costly. And anyone who's had to love others knows how costly love can be. And this last week, as I was getting ready to talk about the love that Jesus displays at Advent, right away it came to my mind that I wanted to talk about the cost to Jesus to extend this love to us. But little did I know the twist my week was going to take, and it did. We're going to have to talk for a minute about what love and devotion look like. It wasn't that long ago... Mr. Connor came and told me that he wanted to get married. And Connor, I gotta tell you, it's costly. (laughs) Love and devotion is a good thing, but covenant relationship is costly. Why? Because we share all of us with someone else. Because we take someone else and now we put them before ourselves. Our emotional life and our spiritual life and our physical life don't belong to us anymore. They are now ours, together with someone else. Anyone who's married, anyone who's had to love friends or family will know, yeah, I know that cost. But that cost is worth it, isn't it, to be in close relationship with someone else? It's worth the cost of devotion. But sometimes it's a little bit more than what we bargained for. At the wedding ceremonies, like Connor's in a few months, I might say some words about rich and poor, I might even talk about sickness and health. We don't mind agreeing to those things, it seems like, because we know the reward we get for saying yes, and it's a husband or a wife, so we say yes, until someone gets sick, and then it gets hard easy to say yes in the ceremony when we're standing on the stage, and there's no cost at that moment. But later, the cost might come. And then it's a little harder to say, I do. Then it's a little harder. And this week on Tuesday, I think Chantel got more than she bargained for, because I got sick this week. And Tuesday night, into the emergency room we go. Well, at home, Mr. Jesse had an upset stomach. So Jesse was throwing up that night, and there was someone at our house graciously watching Cooper and Jesse. Thank you, as I look at my sister. <laughs> and Chantelle is sitting with me, and she brings along baby Austin. And baby Austin had the flu last week. He had influenza, so of course he's experiencing all the symptoms of that. And when you go into the emergency room, you just never know what it's going to be like. It could be an hour or two, or it could be half a day of your life, and that's just the way it goes. And we went in at supper time. A couple hours pass, and here's Chantel holding baby Austin. They're sitting on the chair. Austin's restless. Go home. Go home, Mom. No, we have to stay. Daddy's tummy hurts. He has to see the doctor, go home. Austin's running a mild fever, he hasn't slept in days. There she is, holding him in the hospital room. Two more hours later, they're sitting on the floor. Austin is now laying down, laying across her lap. They're sitting on their winter coats on the concrete floor. Four hours in. It's now an hour past Austin's bedtime, hour and a half. Go home. Go home. Nope. We have to stay. Daddy's tummy hurts. He has to see the doctor. Two more hours pass. That's the way it went, 11 o'clock at night. Austin's asleep in her arms. That's the cost of love and devotion sometimes. That's the part when we're standing there putting our wedding rings on each other, dressed in the fancy dress clothes. You don't picture those moments, do you? But something happens when you love someone and you're devoted to someone in covenant relationship with them. There's a cost to be paid. And that night, as she's sitting there holding the baby, the cost is being paid. Why doesn't she go home? Why doesn't she pick him up and go home? because she committed to love someone else more than she loves herself, and she's willing to pay the price. And I'm in there, and I know I'm supposed to be at work writing a Christmas sermon for all of you, but that was the heart of the story already. You see, in my mind, last week I'd went to Philippians, and I had been reading about the incredible cost Jesus paid to come down to the earth and become one of us. How do you illustrate that How do we talk about how much it cost him to be incarnate, to become man? How do you illustrate that to people? How much it meant for him to leave the holiness of where he was, his stature and authority, and be willing to lay that aside to become creation? How do you put that kind of love and devotion into an example that's tangible, that we can look at and see and we understand? And then all of a sudden you spend six hours sitting in the hospital room And you go, yep, I know what love and devotion looks like. Since the very beginning of the Bible, let's start there. We've been in this covenant relationship with God. God creates Adam and places with him Eve. Humanity and life together. And they're in this relationship with him. God promises to be his God and Adam now needs to keep the promise back to God. Don't touch the tree of the knowledge of what is right and what is wrong, good and what is evil. If you can do that, you will keep the relationship, the covenant promise that we have, right? I'm pointing at my wedding ring, the I do's that we made to each other. Don't touch that, and you and me will exist in this righteous relationship. Was Adam willing to bear that cost? That meant submission, right? That meant obedience. That meant trust. That meant all of these things that are such a vital part of our relationships. And Adam is deceived along with Eve into disobeying and breaking that relationship. So now the marriage has been shattered. You think about that. Trust is broken. And how many of us in covenant relationship with somebody else, when trust is shattered like that, How many of us would still choose to pursue that person? And God does. And he picks out of humanity one family that he will pursue and make his very own. He picks Abraham's family. So down the line they go, Isaac, Jacob, and now Moses. And they get to the edge of the promised land. And as you're reading through in Deuteronomy, you're going to come across some of these verses. This is what Moses is telling the people. We read some of this in youth group on Friday. He said, Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you don't forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words, so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near to me. You stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountain blazed with fire to the very heavens with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke out of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but you saw no form. There was only a voice. And hear this verse, verse 13. And he declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow and wrote them on two stone tablets. Moses is urging the people, before they step into this land where they will dwell with God, Have you considered that when we stood at the mountain, God spoke his covenant relationship to you? He made it clear. Sickness and health, richer or poorer, better or worse, God says, ten commands. You will love God and you will love other people. Right? You won't put a God before me or make an image of a God. You won't speak ill of my name. You're going to honor my day as holy. You're not going to kill people or lie to people or covet from people if you were to be my people, if you were to wear my ring, if you were to live in my house, you will honor the marriage covenant that we're about to make. You will love me, and you will love other people, and you will be mine forever. And the people say, I do. I'll wear the ring, I do. And in they go. We're willing to pay the price and bear the cost. Until what? until it gets hard one generation one generation read the beginning of the book of judges just please don't read the end of the book of judges it's horrifying but the beginning of the book of judges that's from youth group you always tell the kids do not read the end of the book of judges Never. right alex one generation later and they had abandoned the lord their god They had promised to live this life, promised, and they abandoned it in one generation. But what happens when you break your covenant promise to your spouse? What happens? They've taken you back in, and for a second time, you've been disobedient and you've broken their trust. Would God take you back again? Would he go through all of that one more time? He's willing to. But here's what we've learned through all of this. That the groom might be willing to carry his end of the bargain, but the bride is too weak. Within the bride is not righteousness. Within the bride is sin and selfishness and brokenness. God can remarry us as many times as he wants, but the problem is in us. Not that we don't desire to do good, but that goodness doesn't exist within us. It's brokenness and sin that has captured our heart, that is our master, you read in Romans, under the sinful nature. So God is entering into a marriage where he knows his wife will fail, and yet he does it willingly. So what is he going to do? Just continue to remarry us over and over and over again, and watch us fail and fail and fail? He has to find a way to make this work, to bring him and the bride together forever, finally. But if the bride isn't strong enough, the groom is going to have to do it. God is going to willingly choose to honor his end of the agreement and ours for us. He's going to keep his vow and he's going to keep our vow for us. That's the cost. But for humanity to live this righteous life, to be drawn back to God... A human is going to have to do it, and humans can't. So how will there ever be a righteous Adam? How will there ever be another Adam who will live the way that God desired? It's going to have to be God himself. It's going to have to be Jesus. And after thousands of years, thousands of years, Moses, David, Solomon, down, down, Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, down, 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 down. Jesus shows up to finally win his bride back home. But this will cost him everything. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians. Maybe you haven't read these verses quite like that before from Philippians chapter 2. But I'm telling you, once you read the first half of it, slowly without reading the second half, you're going to see something that I've seen, and you'll marvel at it. We're gonna start at verse one of Philippians chapter two. This is the famous passage where we often talk about the humility of Jesus. And Jesus was willing to die on the cross. That's how humble he was, that's how sacrificial he was. Let's see what we can learn from this scripture this morning. So, I'll give you one more second If you're looking in your phone or in your Bible, this is Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to read till 7. This is me reading out of the NIV, so if you have another translation, the words might be a little bit different than this. It begins like this. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit... If any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. Being like minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. He's speaking to the church, right? Church, do nothing, do nothing out of selfish ambition, nothing out of vain conceit, rather, in humility. Value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests. But each of you to the interests of others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Jesus. Pause for just a second. This was a church that was struggling to love one another. And he's going to say you have all these things in common. You have the Savior in common, this Holy Spirit in common. And it's supposed to make your mind in common. It's supposed to make your love for one another in common. You're supposed to be loving other people ahead of yourself. Why can't you do that? Why are you so filled with vain conceit and selfish ambition? Don't you see the example of Jesus? Why don't you have these relationships with one another that mirror the example of Jesus? And here's what he says in verses 6 and 7. He says, as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself, what does the word say? He makes himself nothing, the very nature of a servant he took. He became made in human likeness. That's the posture of Jesus. You hear those words? When equality with God is something that he could grasp onto, your translation might say, it's something that he could take advantage of. Do you understand that for all time before he came down to earth, where do you think Jesus was dwelling? With God. Because he is God. Don't you think for millennium, before millennium, the angels and the creatures worshipped him with his father? That was his life. So for him to leave that place of worship and glorification, that place where God's will is always done, he abandons that to come here. And at any moment while he was here, he could have just grasped it and taken advantage of it. But he willingly chooses not to. He actually becomes nothing. Your translation might say he empties himself. He becomes nothing. The posture of a servant. This is the king leaving his throne to become the servant of the kingdom. The lowest position. He became made. In human likeness. The dirt. Don't you think Jesus is there? What does John chapter 1 tell us? Everything that's been made has been made through him. Jesus is there and he picks up the dirt off the ground and he breathes on it. The breath of life. And dirt becomes human. And God says, I love you and the dirt disobeys him. Jesus becomes the dirt. He becomes one of us. That cost him everything. You get to the scene where Jesus is born, and the shepherds are finding out from the angels, and the angels are singing their beautiful songs out in the fields at night. It dawned on me, had those same angels been worshiping Jesus for hundreds or thousands of years in the holy place in heaven? Had they 10,000 times sung songs of praise and worship to their king. And now their king had become dirt. And they come down from heaven and there he is. There's the king. The king has taken the lowest position. Hallelujah. The king has taken the lowest position. This is going to be great joy. For all men forever, the king has come down. Eventually, the birth of Jesus will lead to a life of righteousness and then a sacrificial death. Often the cross will sit up here to remind us of that sacrificial death. And now a tree. And that's okay. This reminds me of the birth of the Savior. When I think about the tree, that's the season I'm thinking about. That will lead to the cross coming back. The question, though, for me as I look at my wife sitting there on the floor for six hours holding my sick baby, is am I in this covenant relationship willing to take the posture of the servant? Am I willing to become nothing? i got to go back to John. Everything just makes more sense when you go back to John. John 13, Jesus sitting with his disciples, he's washed their feet, they've had communion together, and in verse 33 of John 13, he then says to them, my children, I will be with you only a little longer, you will look for me, just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I've loved you, you must love one another. And by this, everyone, you will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And I read that. I read that and I look at us and I look at me. If somebody meets me, do they look at me and say, look at that love. That must be Jesus. Look at that love. I hope what they don't do is I hope they don't look at me and see my religious practices. Oh, I know where Darren is on Sunday. He must love Jesus. He must be a follower of Jesus. Darren sings songs on Sunday. He must be a follower of Jesus. Darren sacrificially gives his money. He must be a follower of Jesus. Darren volunteers and he serves. He must be a follower of Jesus. I hope that's not what they're looking at. Why? Because we can participate in this our whole lives. And it can mean awfully little if it means nothing inside of our hearts. That's possible. What he's called us to is to love one another the way he loved. What's that calling us to? A life of posturing ourselves as the servant. A posture of emptying ourselves and becoming nothing. A posture of truly putting other people ahead of you. And you can smile and nod, just like I do, and go, that's not that hard. I can do that. Just like a couple on their wedding day. I'll wear the ring, sure. It sounds great. I love that. Until. Until. You're sitting on the floor in the hospital room for six hours, and you're like, I didn't sign up for this. Being part of this Christian life. Humbling ourselves. I love that. I love humbling myself. No, you don't. Not for a second. Don't lie to the pastor. No, you don't. It becomes hard when we need to do that. The question is, how will we respond? Adam's life with God was easy until he had to make that hard choice. Just live with me. And Adam's, yes, of course. Until he's faced with the dilemma. I want to take the fruit. I know I shouldn't, but I want to. The covenant gets hard. We can light all the candles we want but if we're not willing to make ourselves nothing and take the nature of a servant, lighting all the candles ain't gonna do that much. We can put up Christmas trees. We can sing Holy Night. I'm just telling you, like, those things are beautiful. But unless we have a heart that's been regenerated by Jesus and that sanctification is taking place by his spirit, we can look like we're in this marriage but really not willing to pay the price. Like, this just stuns me that he would become nothing. That alone is staggering. That the king of heaven would become nothing. But then to call me to love like that? You guys, I have no excuse. After Chantel does what she did on Tuesday night, do you know what Darren has? No excuse. The next time she needs me to get up in the middle of the night, do you know what I have? No excuse. No excuse. The next time I'm required to do the six hours of sitting on the floor, no complaining. None. Because she did that for me. And anyone here who's been in a close relationship that's required a lot of you you can nod your head and go, I know what that feels like. I know that cost. I've been there for my husband. I've been there for my wife. Or I've been there for my best friend. Or I've been there for grandpa and grandma or my neighbor. I've been there. It costs something to be in love and devotion then we enter into this place and we can treat it like we get it for free and we don't have to give it back. And worse off, if we're not careful, we can even teach it like that to you. Come, get Jesus, light the candles, it's free. Have a great week. That's not how marriage works. And this isn't a harsh message where you're being cut down. This is me pointing to my wedding ring and I'm saying, just remember the promise that you made whether you made this promise 30 or 40 or 50 years ago or whether you committed yourself to Jesus a year ago, you now have entered into to a beautiful covenant relationship. I hope you're willing to honor your vows. I hope Christmas and the lighting of the candles takes you back to your wedding day with Jesus, thinking, this is beautiful that he would enter into this relationship with me. And I hope you're stunned as we do the prayers and light the candles of how much this cost him. And he was willing to do it for you. He didn't have to, but he was willing to. And now he just says, respond in that same way. What does it look like for us in church, in this relationship, in this family, to humble ourselves? To take upon the nature of the servant, to make ourselves nothing? To truly put other people ahead of ourselves? Look in the Bible, look at the way they loved each other and worshiped together and prayed over each other and shared communion. The Holy Spirit did miraculous things in their presence and the church grew every day. What if that is the future of the church family here? What if the future of the church family here is a ministry that is so beyond what we can understand And you think it's going to take a large program, or redoing the Sunday service, or maybe it's just going to take an advertising campaign. What if it takes us emptying ourselves and loving other people the way that Jesus loved us? What if it's truly that simple? What if being transformed as a disciple of Jesus, we talked about as a mission statement last week, what if just being transformed to look more like Jesus What if that's the key to all of this coming together? We love him. We love other people. And God changes the world through his power and through his church. Isn't that beautiful? So all that to say, Connor, that if you are sure you want to get married... You will never gain something as beautiful as a covenant relationship. is the most beautiful thing I think you can gain. We gain it through Jesus with him, and then often we gain it through a spouse. It'll cost you everything. Your life will never be the same. But what you gain from it, what you gain from it is absolutely remarkable. That's why I don't mind emptying myself for Jesus and being a servant. I don't mind humbling myself for him. What I gain is far greater than what it costs me. And it costs me everything. What I gain is far, far greater than that. I'm going to call the worship team up. And I just hope that this Christmas, as we celebrate Advent, as you spend time with friends and family, you reflect. You say, thank you, Jesus, for how much this cost you. And then you look inside your own heart and you ask yourself, Has it cost me that same amount back? Have I given everything? Let me pray over you before we sing. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for my church family. And I pray for them, Lord Jesus, that you would extend knowledge of your loving grace to them. That this morning they would have a deeper understanding of the sacrifice of the king to become the servant. I pray that that knowledge would grow inside of them and that it would lead to wisdom and it would change their hearts. And Holy Spirit, I pray for the family that you would reveal to them if there's places and sin within their heart and places lord that they haven't surrendered to you they haven't made themselves nothing they're holding on to something that they think is greater than you you would call them to lay it down bring it to their mind holy spirit that we need to be willing to pick up our cross and follow you even if it costs us our lives would that lord Jesus be the mission of this church would that be the cry of our hearts Will it truly be the way that we live. And then, Lord, bless this family as they step into obedience day by day by day, as they love other people sacrificially, as this city comes to know who you are. Through the obedience and love of your church, Lord Jesus, bless them. And bless this season of Advent as we remember and reflect on what you've done for us. You are a holy God, worthy of honor and praise, and we fear you and we revere you. You are truly the king. Thank you, Jesus, for the reading of your word this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. Please stand with us as we finish off the service.